But pe for people who are in full-time paid work, that is really the single largest context where you spend your life. And so wouldn't you think that the single largest context where you spend your life is probably where God wants to engage you and probably the crucible in which God is shaping you for God's purposes. And so of course God uses our workplaces as a setting for shaping our souls. Hey friends, welcome to our special edition podcast called Faith at Work. I'm your host, Jen Kelly, joined by my friend and fellow Huntley campus pastor, Don Hay. We get the joy of bringing you conversations that are all about integrating faith and work and why every job matters. We have been interviewing Christ followers from a variety of work backgrounds to help stir our imaginations, to give us new insights and practical ways to think about how we live out our faith at work. But before Don introduces our final guest for this special edition podcast, we have, are you ready? An announcement to make. Ooh. But we will share that announcement with you during the end of our time together. Boo. <laughs> what an unfair tease. Hey, everyone. Uh, Pastor Don here. And yeah, you're going to have to hang on until the end uh, to hear all about our great news. Uh, we are not intentionally trying to manipulate you or have you stay until the end. Uh, but we want you to stay until the end and we're going to hold it over your head. So make sure that you do. Uh, today, uh, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, Dr. Denise Daniels is the Hudson T. Harrison Endowed Chair of Entrepreneurship at Wheaton College, uh, which happens to be where I went to school, so I'm excited about this. Uh, Denise was uh, also a professor of management at Seattle Pacific University, where she has been a faculty member since 1996. Uh, she is a 1991 Wheaton graduate in business economics and psychology. She earned her PhD in organizational behavior from the University of Washington. She's a management scholar with deep theological engagement in her teaching, publications, and consulting work, which focuses on the intersection of Christian vocation, leadership development, and the marketplace. Uh, Denise co-authored the book, Working in the Presence of God, Spiritual Practices for Everyday Work. She's also the producer of the documentary film and course series Faith and Co., which are designed to inspire deeper connections between faith and work. She is also a recognized scholar in the areas of Sabbath-keeping, theories of work motivation, and leadership, including women in leadership. So, mm -hmm. uh, Denise, thank you for joining us today. Yes. Thanks so much, Donna Jen. It's nice to be here. Oh, we're so we're so thrilled um, to have you. You have quite the resume. So one of the things that we wanted to ask you right off the bat is tell us, uh, share with us some random fun facts about yourself that might not have been included in there. Okay, so here's definitely not on my resume. Um, when, let me tell you a quick story. When I was, this is my earliest entrepreneurial endeavors. I was probably five years old and um, I was. I decided to make bookmarks that I sold door to door in our neighborhood, and so I cut up pieces of paper and put stickers on them. And then I dragged my little brother, who was probably three or four, with me, and we went door to door and sold these bookmarks for a penny a piece. And um, when we got home, I was really excited. I think we had like twenty-one cents between us. Wow! And so a clear moneymaker. Uh, <laughs> kind of a moneymaker. At the very end, we were we were you know splitting the the money, and we got down to the last dime and the last penny. And I told my brother it was okay with me. He could take the bigger coin, which was made out of gold, 
and I would take the smaller coin, which was only made out of silver. <laughs> and so he got the penny and I got the dime. <laughs> Uh, very clearly, God had some work to do in me. And yeah. <laughs> oh, that's in my life. Oh. So, so you don't. One of your degrees is not in finance. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. That's amazing. You got to love the little brothers and the things you can get away with. Uh, yeah, he, that, that little brother, by the way, eventually did get a PhD in physics. Oh, so wow. he did okay himself, but at age three or four, he still was not able to distinguish between the value of a penny. <laughs> and a dime, so. That's amazing. Well, uh, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, over the course of this series, uh, we have talked a lot about creation, fall, redemption, restoration, uh, throughout this idea of of faith at work with our listeners. Uh, In the very first episode with Dr. Roberts, we addressed why starting at creation is so fundamental when we talk about work as good and being made in the image of a working God. Uh, but you bring up something important at the very beginning of your book that we haven't really touched on yet, the importance of ordinary, you call it. In fact, in your book, uh, you talk about sacred versus uh, secular, and you wrote that uh, the sacred has been divorced from the secular, and in the process, we have lost the celebration of the ordinary. Uh, can you explain a little what you mean by this to our listeners, and can you give us a definition of sacred versus secular, and, and why is it imperative to understand this in relation to how we think and live and work? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, it really goes back a couple thousand years, maybe 2,500 years, to the, the early Greeks and uh, Plato. Uh, he, he was focused on the life of the mind and really almost to the detriment of the life of the, the body, the physical material uh, world. Um, the ideal for Plato and those early philosophers was to sit around and think, you know, and write and, and do, do the various things. Um, but it, so they weren't dealing with the mundane. They weren't dealing with the daily activities of obtaining food and taking care of children and building roads and whatever else needed to get done. To, to live, they had slaves and servants to do those kinds of things. Um, Christians really, unfortunately, have kind of adapted and borrowed this idea from, from the early Greeks that there's a distinction between what is good and important, and the good and the important is how we think and how we talk and how we engage with God through our spiritual lives, and then we have these mundane physical lives over here that are kind of different and separate. They're not as important. And so that's what we mean by the distinction between the sacred and the secular. We think about the idea of our souls as kind of our the identity of who we are and what God cares about. But God doesn't really care about our bodies necessarily. God doesn't really care about the, the mundane details. And that's just fundamentally not true. Um, the Hebrews would not have had this divorce between the, the sacred and the secular. They would have really... Um, connected them much more tightly than we tend to do in the Western world. We, we have this duality. and um, But that's not what we see in Scripture. It's not really what we see in terms of what is, is valued by God. God doesn't distinguish between what is spiritual and what is worldly. Um, really, all of our actions in the world shape the kinds of people that we are becoming. And if you look at Scripture, and particularly if you look at Jesus, in scripture. He talks all the time about the ordinary life. Um, He doesn't talk about it as the ordinary life. It's just how he talks. So his parables are about really mundane activities. He he talks about, you know, women sweeping their houses and 
planting seeds or taking care of sheep. Um, these were the daily activities, the daily work of the people that he was talking to. Um, he engaged with people as they went about their daily business. And so he meets the disciples when they're fishing, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're pulling in the nets. He, um, he engages with the Samaritan woman as she's fetching water. Um, the, the things that they're doing throughout the daily activity of life is where God meets them, where Jesus encounters them. Um, so Jesus uses examples from regular life to help us understand God's kingdom. Um, and so, of course, God uses our workplaces as a setting for shaping our souls. Um, in, in my mind, and the way we, we need to think about it is that work is never secular. Um, work is really, it, it is a very sacred place where God is encountering us. Wow, that's good. I, I want to go a little bit um, more into this division between sacred and secular because I don't even think it just happens at work it happens with uh, us between our relationship and our and God right like it's 21st century Christians many of us can be re- busy overworked stressed consumed by technology emails and the mayhem of working just frantically and as a pastor right it's it's really really normal for me to be able to hear from uh, my people that like, hey, I, Jen, I got to get some time away. I just need to go and spend some time, you know, distant with God somewhere. And you talked about this a lot in your book, and I thought it was really profound. You said it's not, it's not, there's nothing wrong with communing with God in quiet and beautiful places, but such spaces don't tend to be where our everyday lives are lived. And that by doing this, we actually perpetuate the division between sacred and secular and therefore perhaps minimize our own spiritual practices. Can you expound on this idea and help us understand why and how bringing spiritual practices into the very midst of our ordinary lives can transform our walk with God? Yeah. Um, You know, I I co-wrote this book with Shannon Vanderwerker, and um, Shannon has three kids, um, and I have four kids. And so both of us were in in an experience in life where we felt really busy, like our lives were full, and we were busy with family things, with work things. Um, Shannon's actually a stay-at-home mom, so she was very busy with work things, um, dealing with, with schooling with young kids and so on. Um, I had had moments in my life where there was just no way I was going to be able to get up early and have a quiet time. And that was really frustrating to me. And it also felt a little bit like a failure as a Christian that Mm. somehow I couldn't do what I felt like a good Christian does, which is take quiet time aside and be with God on a super regular basis. And it just was not the way my life was shaped um, in those particular moments. And so we really started thinking about and wondering, are there ways that we can engage with what, is God, what, with what God is doing in our lives in the midst of the lives that we have, not the lives that we wish we had, um, but in the midst of, of the lives that we're actually experiencing? Um, and so this book really was written out of our own experience of what does it mean to be a faithful follower of Jesus to have a life that is full and at times overwhelming and at times anxiety provoking and um, to also be a faithful follower of Jesus. And how do we do that? How do we marry those two things? Mm. And so we started to look at practices that we could engage in in the midst of that busyness, not, you know, in front of the fireplace, 
in the quiet where nobody's talking to you, which never happened in my household. <laughs> but the closest I got to being by myself was in the bathroom, and there would still like yeah. be hands underneath the door, yeah, <laughs> reaching out towards me. Yeah, <laughs> so you're never really alone. And um, just trying to figure out, okay, what are the ways that we can do this? And then on top of that, there was this idea that for for people who are in, in full-time paid work, and which is what my experience was. I was I was a, a college professor. Um, this is my 27th year now as a college professor. Oh, wow. um, but pe- for people who are in full-time paid work, that is really the single largest context where you spend your life. Mm-hmm. And so wouldn't you think that the single largest context where you spend your life is probably where God wants to engage you and probably the crucible in which God is shaping you for God's purposes. And so it was kind of the, the marriage of those two ideas. One, how are we going to do this ourselves? Like, what, what what's the practical reality of how do we engage with God in the midst of the busyness? And secondly, how is God trying to shape us? And how do we recognize that and acknowledge that, for which, again, for many of us is our work lives? Mm. Um, and, and how do we move forward into trying to recognize what God is trying to do in us? Mm. That's so good. Yeah, that's good. And you know, o- over the course of the podcast, um, and even as I think through conversations that that I have with people that I would sort of put in that pastoral category of of mm-hmm. where are you and what is God doing and how do you bridge that gap of what He's calling you to do versus where you feel you are. I know that sometimes um, when we think about our jobs, so much hinges on the lens through which we look at what we do, where we go, who we're interacting with. And it's easy to feel like my job is a barrier to to the things that God wants me to do. It's the people I work with. It's what mm-hmm. I have to do from nine to five. And it's almost, it, we lose that sense of what is God doing in that space. And I think that so much over this over this podcast has been looking at different spaces and saying, God is there. God is moving. God is active. Right. In fact, maybe God has you in that space so that he can be more present, he can be more active, which is a little functional, but then for the I'll just say the end user, the person who's in that role, you begin to get into this concept of what is God doing in me as a result of the space that he has me occupying. How is he transforming me? And so we think of a passage like 2 Corinthians 3.18, where it talks about being transformed to the image of Jesus, and this idea of how is the space that you're in, how is the the position you're occupying, the work that you're doing, how is that environment transforming me? That it's not just me as a Christian feeling like my job is to always just proclaim who Jesus is, but what what transformation is is happening in me and so when you think about your workplace that daily transformation that can take place in the workplace if i just open my eyes to this concept of how does god want to use where i am to transform me so talk to talk a little bit about the best posture uh that we can take as workers to engage in that kind of spiritual rhythm that produces actual change within us? Uh, what have you seen? What have you learned? Yeah, it's a great question. I, let me let me tell you a quick story, and, and, and it's a little bit of an analogy into this question sure. that you're asking. Um, the story is, uh, for a number of years when I was at Seattle Pacific University, I was in an administrative role in the School of Business. And I would get so frustrated because I would find that I had all, I had this 
long to-do list of things that I needed to get done, but I was constantly getting interrupted by people coming to ask questions or to need, who needed help. And, and I would just be so irritated kind of by the end of the day because I had, you know, not, I'd only gotten halfway through my to-do list and, and I was expecting to get all the way through it and I had enough time, but I kept getting interrupted. And all of a sudden one day I realized that, you know, my job was actually those interruptions that that was my job. Mm -hmm. Those people were coming to me because I was in a role where I had the answers, excuse me, or I, I could respond to the needs that they had in some particular way. And when I made that, when, when I recognized that, it totally shifted how I engaged with those people that interrupted me. They weren't interruptions anymore. They were my job. And um, I think similarly, there's something there, there, there's a shift that has to happen in us as we're going about and doing our daily work. And um, it's not so much about what we're doing, but it's how is God shaping us? And the cognitive shift for me that happened with, um, with this is to just simply pay attention. Pay attention to what God is doing in your life. Um, if I don't consciously think about it, I just live my life a little bit on autopilot. But as I have started to engage in some of the spiritual practices that Shannon and I outline in the book that we wrote, I am a little bit more attentive to the things that God is doing in the world. I'm more attentive to the places that God is at work. I'm more attentive to the things that God wants me to do or the kind of person that he is shaping me to be. And so I would say the one thing that is really important as far as that that transformation is to pay attention mm-hmm. and to look around and see what God is doing. And some of these practices are designed to, to actually help us in that process of paying attention. Yeah, that's good. And and you you, you kind of touched on it, but if, if I could go just a little further into it, um, mm-hmm. you're describing uh, the attitude, I guess, that – that when I when I go into the break room, when I go into the Zoom meeting, when I when I go into the kitchen, when I go into uh, the office, when I go into the classroom, um, what is my what is my attitude uh, toward toward those around me? And you talk about the interruptions. You, so so in, in a sense, it's the posture that we take. Is it a defensive posture? Is it a uh, I don't have time for you posture. Is it an, a posture of anticipation of what is God going to do today? And I, and I think as Christians, we, we know the posture we should have, but then we know the posture I usually have. Mm-hmm. And, and probably in just really simple terms, it's my attitude. And what is my attitude towards those interruptions? What is my attitude towards the people. So, so why is our posture, our the attitude of our heart, so important as we engage in spiritual practices? And and I think for for some of us who just feel like I don't feel like it, <laughs> I don't I don't want I don't want that. I don't. I just want to get done what I need to get done. And so wrestling between what I should do versus what I feel like doing. Um, what what can we do? For those of us uh, that just need help getting the right attitude, H- how do we develop that attitude that is like Christ to see things the way He did, so that we don't just have in our mind what we should do, but our attitude begins to move us towards that, so we can actually find some find some progress. Yeah, I, I, actually, my answer here, Don, would be to go back to that response a minute ago, which is pay attention. Hmm. And so, it's not just paying attention to what God is doing in and around us, but it's 
it's also paying attention to ourselves and paying attention to those attitudinal moments. Um, am I irritated right now? Am I angry right now? What, what's going on in me and, and why? And so psychologists refer to this as metacognition or the ability to kind of step out of ourselves and see ourselves from the outside. And it's really important to be able to do that for lots of, of, of reasons. It ends up having a lot of positive outcomes for us. I think for the Christian, it's important for to be able to do this partly because I think there's psychological health in it, but also because it allows us to bring those real attitudes in front of God and say, you know what, God, I'm really irritated right now. Mm. Yeah. You know what, God, I don't, I don't really feel like paying attention to you right now. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Like God can handle those emotions. God is able to deal with those kinds of attitudes. And I, I think that, so I think the first step is to pay attention. I think the second step is to be willing to be really honest with God and then to say, I don't feel like it, God. So if I, I, I need your help. I need you to change me to make my attitude such that would conform to your purposes in this moment. I can't do it. I don't even feel like doing it. And that's the best I can do. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, sometimes that's great. Like that's all you could do. And, and I think about a lot of times there's that Christian guilt of, right. I know, I know what I should do. And I think even the, the benefit of what you're describing is uh, acknowledging that I have a bad attitude and I would even say a step further, talking to someone else about my bad attitude, because I, I know that if I have a conversation with Jen about my bad attitude, that is far more productive than, you know, me just feeling guilty for my bad attitude. Or if I have a conversation with my wife or a conversation with a coworker to say, man, I, I'm trying to have Jesus be present where I am, but I have a terrible attitude right now. And and I think even just the the ability that you're that you're offering is to put to words the importance of yeah. not just going with how I feel, but but maybe moving towards something better. Yeah. That's right. Exactly right. And the space to be honest. Like we we get so hard on ourselves sometimes and we think that we have to be one way with God or hide it and he sees all of it anyway. So might as well admit it and yeah. say it out loud, the reality of where yeah. you're at. All right. And, and frankly, I, I see that all the time through the Psalms. You see the Psalmist mm-hmm. bringing these really crappy attitudes to God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, saying, for sure. That's good. This is how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. And God's, God's good with that. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So for those of us who understand the importance of ushering in God's presence into these ordinary moments, and we've checked our attitudes, we, we, we know the, our posture of our heart. You tell us from a practicality standpoint, where do we start within spiritual formations in these ordinary moments? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that we say is we, we want to, again, pay attention to our own um, rhythms, our own cycle of the day. So what does your day look like? What What is actually the rhythm of your schedule? Um, are you getting up and getting ready to work and driving to work? And then what do you do first? Do you, you know, unlock your office door and open your computer? You know, what is the, the rhythm of your day? What, literally, what, what, what steps do you go through? And the reason we start with that is because once you understand your own day, you can start to recognize places that you can engage with God in that day. You can start to realize where you have a little bit of space to engage and to talk to God. Um, And and so, for example, um, in in warmer months in Illinois, where where I live, I walk into work. I'm about 13 minutes door to door from, from my home to my office. And it's actually a perfect amount of time to listen to a podcast called Pray As You Go. And it's a daily podcast that goes through a 
a passage of scripture and it has a meditation and it goes to the passage of scripture a second time and, and there's a prayer at the end. And for me, you know, usually I would just, before I started thinking about this this way, I would just walk to work and it didn't, you know, it was fine. I was being productive. I was getting to my workplace. But now I'm like, okay, well, I have that 13 minutes. I can walk to work and I can be preparing my mind and my heart for this day by engaging with scripture and engaging in prayer with God. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we actually talk about this in the book as a practice of liturgy of commute. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not driving to work, but I'm walking and in that, but, you know, it's still a commute. I'm, I'm still getting there. And in that process, I'm engaging with God. I'm using that time to prepare myself and allow God to help me prepare for the coming day. So that would be an example. That's a great example. And I think it's so helpful for so many of our listeners that can actually review their workday. Where do I pause? Where do I take a break? Maybe I have a Zoom meeting at this time all the time, but I have a little bit of a 10-minute window. Just different areas of ways that we can implement a spiritual practice to be aware of our surrounding and connect with God, right? Right. Uh, Exactly. Talk to our listeners, though, who might not have a paycheck or go into an office building or, quote unquote, have a job to go to. Is this applicable to them as well? Yes, because everybody works, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether you're getting paid for it or not, everybody is doing work throughout the course of their day. I mentioned Shannon Vanderwerker, my co-author on this book, uh, Working in the Presence of God. And Shannon is a stay-at-home mom. And very much she's working and very much she can engage in these exact same practices that I can. She's not walking 13 minutes to her her office, but she is engaging with small children and figuring out meals and figuring out when to go to the grocery store and figuring out how to get kids to various activities and all of those kinds of things. And so she still has a rhythm that she's working through in the course of her day and trying to figure out how to implement some of these practices within. That's good. Hmm. So so some of what you... Some of what you're talking about, and I'm, I, I want to follow up on that, is um, it, it sounds like in some ways it is almost identifying property in our lives that that we believe Jesus inhabits, and yeah. and identifying not just the property of of where I sit in church uh, or the chair in my house that I'll read my Bible. The, the, the clearly Jesus inhabits those spaces, but it's those other spaces that, well, my boss owns that, or my coworker uh, owns that, or or my desire to have more and and have a name for myself. And so, so in some ways, you're sort of expanding the the territory that we're going to say, no, Jesus, this is yours too, and right. and so I want my my commute to be yours, and so here's how I'm going to give you that property. Um, so, so I think that's such an important thing that you're describing. Um, and you mentioned your, uh, your, your going into work and the podcast. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that you didn't mention this podcast because I know spiritual formation. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, spiritually, this podcast has shaped you. You were sharing earlier how it's actually part of how you came to faith. And so I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to ask you about that. I don't want to put you on the spot. But what I would say, in addition, in addition to that, share share a little more personally um, the some of the some of the most impactful ways that you can practice that that really acknowledge that that this space belongs to Jesus. Uh, some of these you talked about reading scripture at work, gratitude celebration, Sabbath. Uh, the 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 examples you've given are great, um, yeah. but for you personally. Uh, walk us through how it's formed you and, and shaped how you how you live this out. 
Yeah. So we have we have 11 practices in the book that we write about, 11 things that people can do in the course of their day. So not outside of their day, not before their day starts, but in the course of their actual real work lives um, to engage with God. Um, I do not do all 11 every day. You in fact, don't? some of them I almost, <laughs> I almost never do some of them, oh. <laughs> which... Um, I don't know if that makes you think better or worse of me. I'm not That's quite sure. Great. But, no, I, th- I think it um, speaks to every, everyone's different. Yeah. And every right. everyone thrives with some different dynamics. That's exactly right. And what the other thing that I would say is that it depends on the season of my life as far as what I tend to be doing in a particular day. So I mentioned liturgy of commute. I do that when it's nice weather. But like today, it's thundering and lightning and I drove to work and I did not spend 13 minutes walking and listening to prayer as you go. So that, that didn't shape today. Um, so it does depend on the day and it depends on, on the particular rhythm of, of the moment. I would say that um, one practice that I do very regularly is Sabbath, hmm. which um, I started doing about 23 or 24 years ago when I had two very small children and was working full time and was exhausted. Hmm. And I was like, this can't be what God desires for me. Hmm. Um, there, there's got to be more <laughs> to the Christian life than this. <laughs> and um, I ultimately decided that one of the things that God was calling us to, and you know, it's one of the Ten Commandments, by the way, like we don't even think about it this way, but one of the things that God was calling me to was a, a regular day of rest and where I didn't do work, I didn't try to catch up, I didn't try to be productive, I didn't try to be efficient, I just was on mm-hmm. those days. And... Um, that practice of Sabbath has been something that initially when I started felt very, very scary because it seemed to me that I was going to not be able to do my job very well if I didn't work every day. <laughs> I was going to be behind. I was not going to be ready to teach. I was going to be, you know, I, I wasn't going to be ready. And it, it surprised me almost every week um, when I would choose to forego doing work. And for me at, at the moment, my day, my Sabbath day was Sunday. And so I would choose not to work on Sunday. And then Monday morning, I'd be like, oh no, like my week has started and I'm not ready. And every week it seemed like it worked out. It was okay. And I was ready or I was ready enough. And over time, that practice and that habit has really shaped and formed me in a way that helps me to recognize that God is in charge, not me. Hmm. And that the world keeps turning even when I don't work. (laughs) And um, there have been all sorts of things that have been very fruitful that have come out of that practice of not working one day a week. Um, now, other people, that may become really naturally too, and that may be easy for, and that's great. Um, there are other practices that I do, that I do engage in. Um, I have uh, a picture in my office that is called Holy Ground, and it's a little bit ambiguous in terms of what it is, but in the corner of the picture, there is uh, two footprints. And so, you get the sense that, oh, this is Moses at the burning bush. Mm. And Um, The reason I have this picture in my office is because it reminds me every day when I opened the doorway into my office that just as Moses was out taking care of sheep, doing work when he encounters God at the burning bush, I am doing work. And and when I do my work, God is there. And if God is there, that means my workplace is holy ground. Just like when Moses was out in the wilderness taking care of sheep and God says, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. And so when I walk into my office, it's a reminder, oh, this place is holy. Every person who walks into my office is walking into holy ground. Oh, Denise, that's so, so it's just good. A 
And, and that's what I mean by pay attention. Like pay attention and give yourself prompts. Remind yourself throughout the day that these are the things that can orient you to God and can orient you to the ways that God might be wanting to work in your life. I am going to take your idea and put that up in my office. <laughs> I love that so much. It's yeah. so impactful. All right. We've talked a lot about the good uh, components of bringing in spiritual practices into your workplace and, and moments, right? And I know, like Don mentioned before, we have talked a lot about the affirmative parts of faith at work, uh, the importance of starting at creation. We see God as a worker. We, uh, we know God is creative. He's redemptive, etc. But on the flip side of the coin is the negative parts, right? We are sinners, there are dominant narratives like success that looks very different to different kind of people. There are deformative practices or difficult pressures that so many of us face. So I, I, I'm thinking of uh, the teachers that we interviewed toward the beginning of this podcast. And one of them who had been a teacher for years and years brought up the reality of when she goes into the break room, that it is so filled with negative and gossipy talk. And she didn't realize how over the years that that has actually formed her as a person, deformed her soul, right? Think about my husband who jumps on Zoom calls with a bunch of guys all the time. And it's not the prettiest of language that gets displayed all the time that comes out of human beings. And so as much as we've got to pay attention and 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 look and see that this is holy ground, and, but we also need to be able to be cognizant of maybe some of the things that are taking place around us that are deforming our souls. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and maybe give us some wisdom of how we can, one, pay attention to that, and what do we do about those things? Yeah. You know, I was just talking yesterday with a faithful Christian business owner who was telling me that very early in his career, his business started to become very successful and financially successful. He was he was getting rich. and. And he realized that that financial success had the potential to be his undoing spiritually. Hmm. And he wasn't quite sure what to do. And so he decided that he was just going to start giving a lot of money away. And he's an incredible, incredibly generous giver. Um, but I think that notion, giving is a discipline. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a discipline. It's a practice that, that disciplines us. And it shapes us. And it it works against that malformation that you were talking about. Uh, we actually don't talk about giving in our book. Um, it struck me maybe that we should have when I was talking to him. Mm. <laughs> um, but every spiritual discipline has this potential to counteract something that is shaping us, malforming us in, a, in an unhealthy way. Uh, we do talk about gratitude and celebration in our book, for example, recognizing that success is from God. That's a way that can reshape the narrative that, oh, it's all about me. Look how good I am. Um, no, recognizing that God has blessed us and has given us these these things. Um, I think practices like confession and lament are mm. also real counterweights to things that might otherwise deform us. Yeah. Um, coming before God and saying, I blew it. Um, coming before God and saying, I, 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 you know, I'm so frustrated right now and I don't know what to do. Um, the this, this situation is wrong and I don't know how to fix it. Hmm. Those are ways that God gives us to provide some counter to the forces that are shaping us in, in bad ways. And even the practice of Sabbath that I mentioned a few minutes ago, it's a counterweight to a cultural narrative that says you have to work hard in order to be successful. Hmm. And when you're successful, it's because you've worked hard. 
and, and and the practice of Sabbath says no. You actually, it's all God's, even the time, hmm. <laughs> and um, and when you're successful, it's because God has blessed you. It's not because you work so hard. In fact, you've not worked this particular day in obedience to God. Um, so all of these practices are practices that shape us in counteraction to, in counterweight to these cultural forces. And so I think about your, you know, the 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 women that the teacher is walking into the break room. And I wonder what could be the counterpoint to hearing complaints. And maybe it's every time you hear somebody complain, if your immediate reaction is to say, Lord, bless this person. Mm. Um, not aloud, but you, you, can, you can pray silently. Lord, bless this person. Every time somebody complains, how does that shape the kind of person that God is making you? Mm. How does that shape them? Um, because these practices aren't just for us. I mean, God is certainly shaping us, but God shapes us for a purpose so that we can go out and do God's purposes, accomplish God's purposes in the world. And so all of this is, is for God's benefit at the end of, of the day for, uh, to accomplish God's purposes and to bring God's kingdom into fuller fruition on yeah. the, on the, yeah, that's really good. Um, we've got just a minute or two left. Um, so I, I want to sort of wrap up with maybe just a, a perspective question, because you write a lot about uh, paying attention to God on a lifelong journey. And uh, I, I guess the, the perspective of the long game in terms of, yeah. of paying attention to him over that process. Can you talk just, just for a minute, just about that? And why is it so important as we view faith and work and spiritual practices? Yeah, I think it's because you never get there. Like mm. I think um, <laughs> you, you start with a practice and then it peters off and then you might pick up a different practice. Um, but if you if you don't continue to do it, you don't do it. Yeah. And so it has to be a lifelong journey because none of us are really that great in terms of doing all these things faithfully all the time, every time, um, day in and day out. And so it's a constant coming back to God and saying, I need your help. Um, I need to be paying more attention. I, I need to be more aware of where you are engaging with me in my life. Um, and I can look back in, in, in my own life, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 years ago and think, oh, I was better back then at some things than I'm doing now. And I need to reshape. I need to, to, to refocus. I need to recommit. I need to look at my life today and figure out how I'm going to engage these practices because my life is different than it used to be. I've got young adult children now. I don't have littles at home. Yeah. And so my, my schedule is different. Um, so yeah, it's a lifelong journey. Yeah. Well, and the fingers that are under the door trying to get in are bigger now. <laughs> they don't do that They're anymore. So thankfully. <laughs> well, Denise, uh, I just want to thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, so many, so many good pieces just to process and, and think through and, and grow from, uh, tell us how or where, uh, can people connect with you? I, I know your book, uh, that we mentioned if, if listeners missed it in the beginning, working in the presence of God, uh, spiritual practices for everyday work. Uh, but what are some good ways to connect with you? So I, I think most people, when they come to this point, like they give out their Twitter handle or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do have a Twitter account, but I never tweet. So that's probably not a really good way to connect with me. Um, if you really want to reach out to me, the best way is probably by email. And my email address is really easy. It's denise.daniels at wheaton.edu. And I'm happy to respond to people who want to ask questions or follow up. That's great. Thanks again so much, Denise, for being here. You guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Faith at Work. As promised, Don, we have an announcement to make. Yes, we do. Uh, you know, when we started this Faith at Work podcast, 
uh, it was intended to be a limited edition. Uh, and then when I came on, I was sure it would end after that one. <laughs> uh, but because of you and your response uh, to this Faith at Work initiative, uh, we've begun working on season two. Isn't that exciting? Um, that's right. You can expect us to be back in the fall where we will continue our conversations Uh, So stay tuned for the startup date where we will continue to think critically about faith and work intersecting in creative and inspiring ways. Because as we say every time, every job matters. You can still subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your suggestions, questions, or ideas to workpodcast at ccclife.org. And lastly, Tell your friends that their job matters too and invite them to join along in the conversation. We'll talk to you soon.